This happens to be the time of the year when we celebrate Independence Day, and normally, at least in one of the messages, I give a lot of uh, attention to that fact, and that's something I haven't done today, and it was actually intentional because I prayed and and uh, tried to seek the Lord's will in what what I ought to preach today, and so I've given a lot of thought to it. You know, we could look back at history and find uh, much to rejoice about, could we not? To think about the history of this great nation and uh, the way that God is blessed. And we could look around at the current conditions today and uh, my just be broken hearted to think about where we are. Or I could have taken the time to look at our future prospects and to think about that. And all of those are subjects that's worthy of our consideration. But instead, I'm going to preach about something tonight that relates to any time, any situation, and any person. And actually, it's the very thing that gets to the heart of our problems in America today. So many times we want to attribute our difficulties to getting the wrong people in office or, or you know, the economy or whatever it might be. But in reality, what we're going to talk about tonight gets to the very root of our problem. And, and, and by that, I mean not only the cause of the problem, but it's also the solution to the problem. I'm talking about sowing and reaping. And tonight I want you to just look at verse 7. I hope that you're familiar with this entire chapter and especially verses 6 down through verse 10. But tonight I don't want you to get lost in all of the details. So we're just going to look at verse number 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That is the law of sowing and reaping. That is a principle of cause and effect. And and, and I say it's a law, and by that I mean it's not a theory. You know, it's not something that happens sometimes, but it's something that happens all of the time. It is God's answer to our actions, whether they're good or whether they're bad. This is God's answer to that. And it's a truth that can be terrible or it can be tremendous. The seeds that we sow in life are significant. Just as one single seed can ultimately produce thousands of seeds, one simple act can provide great results, good or bad. So, That tells us that little things are important. One little decision. And the problem is so many folks sow bad seeds and then they pray for a crop failure and it doesn't work that way. We reap what we sow and that's what the Lord wants us to get a handle on tonight. So let's bow our heads together for prayer and then we'll examine this verse. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be able to meet again tonight, to be able to sing praise to your holy name and be able to look into your word. And I just pray tonight that the Holy Spirit might guide us as we look at this verse and as we look at this truth and that each and every one of us might be more thoughtful as to the seed that we sow in this life. That, Lord, that we might sow that seed that would yield a good harvest. 
And Lord, may it provide a warning for those that do otherwise. So speak to our hearts tonight. Be with those that are sick, those that can't be here, those that are in dire need. We just pray that you'll touch them, heal them, lift them up, and help them to return to our fellowship. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be not deceived. Well, there's a message in that. We could just stop there and camp out and spend spend an hour talking about be not deceived. Uh, and uh, he goes on and he says, as to the subject matter, God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, there's some things that ought to be obvious. And uh, based on what we, uh, what we entertain, uh, we, can, we can have certain expectations. For example... I expect the sun to set this evening. I expect the sun to rise in the morning. Now, if, you, if you're not expecting that, something has deceived you. Because we can look back at history and know that every day, every morning, the sun comes up and every evening the sun goes down. Or we could look at what Job said about man that's born of woman being a few days and full of trouble. And so it's obvious that we live in a world that is full of trouble. So all of that being true, we can expect to find ourselves in need of something, something sometime in our life. Every day there's going to be some need confront us. But today I want you to think about this in a bit of a different manner. I want you to see that sometimes there is no need for our need. Sometimes there is no need for our need. Sometimes we are in need because we put ourselves in that situation. And we don't have anyone to blame but ourselves. You know, in case you haven't noticed, it's really easy for us to speak about the things that trouble us. We all do that probably more than we should. And some folks are literally addicted to that. You can't talk to them for a minute without them just unloading all of their problems on you. They want you to know just how difficult their life is. They want others to know the state that they're in, their problems, their pain, and so on and so forth. And in many instances, that ends up with the hope of them getting something. It might be that they want your sympathy. It might be they want your prayers. It might be they want provisions or whatever it is. They're hoping by dumping their load of problems on you that it will draw something out from you that they feel in need of. And we've all been there. Uh, but do you ever stop and think about why we might be in a condition like that? Why we might be in need? I realize Sometimes there's no explanation for it. We can examine our lives, and, and seemingly we've been doing everything right. We've confessed every sin. You know, we're not living in disobedience to God, and, and yet trouble comes our way, and we have no explanation, and God alone knows why those things happen, and He's not talking. You know, we ask that why question, Lord, why this, why me, why now? And God doesn't give us an answer. And the reason that God doesn't answer is because we don't need to know the reason right then. And all we need to know is that there is a reason and accept it 
as being from a good God with his intended purpose in mind. So we can't always know what to expect. There's no explanation, but sometimes the cause is clear because all we would have to do is open our eyes, examine ourselves, and if we'd really be honest and look in God's Word and let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts, God would make it clear to us that we have created a situation in our life that is very unpleasant, something that is unwanted, something undesirable, and it's of our own making. And, and what causes that is the law, the law of sowing and reaping. That is a universal, immutable law that God gives us. And so many times, you know, we, we're reminded about the cause and the effect that we reap what we sow. But, but we think of it only in, in terms of bad stuff. And, but notice that he goes on and he speaks about the fact that not only do we reap that which is bad, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but he also tells us that we'll reap that which is good. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So whether it's good or whether it's bad, we're going to reap something. And, and, and we never it seems like learn the lesson that we cannot disobey God's word and disregard God's warnings and disrespect God's will and then expect everything to turn out all right. It just doesn't work that way. Choices have consequences. The Bible teaches us from the very beginning that like produces like. You don't find oranges on apple trees. You don't find, uh, you know, blueberries on strawberry plants. Like produces like, and we reap what we sow. And it's the folly of a fool to sow one thing and expect to reap another thing. And, and, and yet that's exactly what most people in the world today, exactly what they do. So when we consider our, our text in the light of the context... And we need to always do that. We find a good example. If you examine what Paul is saying here, he's telling us that if we refuse to share with others as he commands us to do in verse 9 and 10, we're going to reap the results of that. Because, you know, as God's family, God's people, he's telling us, do good unto all men, but especially unto those of the household of faith. And so if we want God's blessings, that's what we've got to do. And yet, there are many that, that do exactly that, and, and, and as, as a result of that, they're blessed. And the other, on the other hand, those that withhold what is needed from their brothers and sisters in Christ, and consequently, they end up in need. And I mean, what else would you expect? God has said, you know, I've given you this law. It works every time for everyone. And so we can expect that we're going to reap whatever we sow. And when we, when we make the wrong choices, we pull a curse down upon our own head. If we disobey God, we can expect that we're going to reap that which is not desirable. We invite disaster into our life. We force God to correct us as a result of dishonoring Him. And the Bible is filled with examples. So in light of all of that tonight, I want you to consider 
three things. I want us to consider just a few examples from the Bible of how we reap what we sow. Then I want you to think about certain exhortations from the Bible. And then I want us to stop, lastly, and to think about experiences, our own experiences in life. When we look at the examples, we could spend all day talking about the examples found in God's Word. But there are some that stand out more than others. Maybe the first name that comes to my mind is Cain. We think about Cain and Abel and how Cain slew Abel. And so instead of, instead of obeying God, he did as he pleased. And again, that's the way most people live. They don't care what God says. They don't care what the Word of God tells them to do. They're determined that they're going to do as they please. Well, that displeased God, and it created dissension between him and his brother Abel, whom he had murdered. And that resulted in Cain being cursed and spending the rest of his life as a fugitive and a vagabond. It caused him to cry out, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So he reaped exactly what he sowed as he killed his brother. And now here he is banished and out there in the wilderness uh, alone, as it were, and separated from, from everybody else. And, and so there were consequences to the choice that he made. Now, at the time, he might have thought it's, you know, really a good idea for me to kill this self-righteous brother of mine because that's the way he evidently viewed him. And he was displeased because God wasn't satisfied with uh, his offering. And so he thought he'd just get rid of him. And in doing so, he destroyed his own life. Then we think about another example is the loss of Lot. I'm talking about the, the, the loss that he suffered as a result of the decision that he made. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, that's one thing, to pitch your tent toward Sodom. It's another thing when you end up there. And here, here he is in Sodom with his family. You, we all know the story that resulted in his great loss. Uh, he, even losing his wife turned into a pillar of salt. And so we think about uh, the fact that he reaped what he sowed. Another name that comes to my mind is David. David is a man with a perfect heart. A man who was after God's own heart. A man who really apparently had had it all together and yet we read that horrible sad story of David and Bathsheba we think about David looking out from the balcony upon her lusting after her finally taking her and then ultimately being responsible for the death of her husband and we see then that downward spiral in his life the loss of his baby all as a result of the sin that he committed. He reaped what he had sowed. Well, then we think about Solomon. I mentioned last week or the week before, we talked about Solomon and, and his downfall. And it is so amazing that a man who is known for being the wisest man on earth could be the most stupid thing that any man could do 
as he took unto him all of those wives, as he set his heart upon the things of the world, as he uh, constructed those groves for the false idols to be worshipped in. And, and so it's just mind-boggling to think that a man like him could end up in a place like that. And yet it happened to him. And we're just kidding ourselves if we, can't, if we think we can't fall from our lofty perch of righteousness. Because it can happen to you, it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. It's why Paul says we ought to, you know, if we think we stand, take heed lest we fall. And so just as, just as Solomon and David and Lot and Cain reaped what they sowed, that same law is active in your life and in my life. So the examples could go on and on. That ought to mean something to us. Whenever we see what sin has done to others, it ought to awaken us. But there's another factor, and that's the exhortations from God's Word. And by the way, you know, if we, if we are truly Bible believers, the Scripture should be all we need. We, we shouldn't need those examples. Oh, you know, they're helpful. But we shouldn't need that. If God says you're going to reap what you sow, that ought to be the final word in the matter. We don't need examples. We don't need experiences because this is a matter that God has spoken about clearly and He's spoken about often. And in addition to our text, for example, we could, we could spend 30 minutes just reading one verse after another after another that relates to this subject. Some of them relate to the bad. Some relate to that which is good. We reap what we sow. If it's bad, that is, if it's to the flesh, we're going to reap something that is bad also. Job chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 14, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. I've always, I've always profited from that verse because a lot of folks don't understand backsliding. They think it's just reverting back to the old ways of their life, the sinful ways of their life, and that indeed is true. But it always starts in the heart. And even at that stage, while the sin is in the heart and it hasn't broken out into a full-fledged, overt sin, the fact that it is in the heart says that he shall be filled with his own ways. That's why I've often said the most miserable people on earth are Christians who are out of the will of God. I mean, you, you take a, a drunkard in the bar somewhere that cares nothing whatsoever about God. Let me tell you, some of them are not all that unhappy. They got a little jingle in their pockets, you know, and they're able to drink their, their blues away or at least try. They think everything's all right. Everything's going their way. It doesn't really bother them that much. But you let a Christian, a child of God, get out of the will of God, and I promise you the consequence of that is they're going to be filled with their own ways. They're going to become absolutely miserable because the Holy Spirit is not going to allow them to have peace. Amen. If you can just live any old way you want to, regardless of what God has said, uh, and it doesn't bother you, that you need to get saved. 
Because if you're a child of God, out of the will of God, you're not going to have that peace that passeth all understanding, the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Over in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity, ye have eaten the fruit of lies. And on and on and on the verses go, the exhortations from God reminding us that we're going to reap what we sow. That's true of the bad. It's also true of the good. I want you to notice what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 is he's writing to the church at Corinth and he's writing about this very thing. He doesn't, he doesn't word it in the same manner that you might, but I want you to notice what he says beginning in verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, and remember this is a church that was in great need. And I want you to notice the instructions that he gives us beginning in chapter 9 and verse number 6. He says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall, shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Do you realize the greatness of that promise, that statement there? God is able, notice, to make all grace abound, regardless of the situation, he says, all, all sufficiency. We, we serve a God who is sufficient for all things at all times and for every single need that we have. But that is based upon our willingness to give and to do so cheerfully. So we reap what we have sown. And there are numerous other verses that tell us the same. One of my favorite old-time writers is a man called James Hasting, And he wrote in regard to this text here in Galatians, he said, while the text is fitted to awaken the careless, we must not forget that it is equally fitted to cheer and encourage the faint-hearted. And whenever you look at the context as a whole, you see that his words are intended as, as an encouragement to, to faithfulness here. Uh, he, he's not primarily writing in these verses to terrify evildoers, but to cheer up those good men that, that do not grow weary in sowing the good seed. And that ought, that ought to cheer each and every one of us to know because sometimes, you know, we get to that point in our life that we feel that our labor is in vain, and it's not. It never is. We do the work of the Lord, and 
naturally, because we want to see souls saved, we want to see the church increase, we want to see the blessings of God upon His people, and it's only natural that we come to every service desiring that God does something, that does something good, something unusual. And so that's the desire of our heart. And we have to fight against the disappointment that, that sometimes creeps in as a result of not seeing those blessings immediately. Because we want them right now. You know, we, we've sowed, now we want to reap. But it just absolutely does not work that way. But in time, God is going to bless what we do. I, I can re remember on many occasions going out on visitation and knocking doors all day. Never, never, especially in the Cincinnati area, go up and down the streets there where most of the folks are Catholic and uh, one after another just simply opens the door and then will slam it in your face or are very rude and telling you they're not interested. And you spend day after day doing that and not getting anywhere. And after a while, you start thinking, well, what's the use? Why am I even doing this? People are not going to listen. And yet, as a result of our faithfulness in doing those things, God blesses in some other way. And the person you invited to church might not come, but somebody that you've never met before will show up. Somebody that nobody invited, but yet in some way or another, God is going to bless what we do. And we have to live every day believing that with all of our heart. Now, there's one more thing. Not only the exhortations and not only the examples that ought to get our attention, but I want you to think about experiences because every person here can look back at some point in their life and think of something that they did that still haunts them to this day. I'm talking about things that we wish we hadn't done. A while ago, Brother Scott and Brother Kenneth and I were talking about something. I'm not going to tell you what. I'm not going to repeat the story, but it had something to do with what I was doing back before I was unsaved, something stupid, something I shouldn't have been doing in a place where I shouldn't have been. And, uh, and so we can look back at times like that in our life and think to ourselves, you know, I, I, I wish I hadn't done that, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but we, we've all had those moments. And, and, and I'm not talking about maybe something that is major, something that is earth-shattering, but it might be for you young people, well, you failed an exam. Why? Well, it might very well be because you didn't apply yourself to study. You thought you'd go in there and wing it and ace it, and you're not going to have any problem at all. Maybe the teacher will be in a good mood and feel sorry for you and give you a passing grade and you get in there and realize you've dropped the ball at half court, you've made a mess, and it's going to affect your, uh, affect your grades for that year. And, and you look back on that, that experience. And so many times people, and Brother Kenneth can tell you the same thing, people will come to you pouring out their heart about some present problem that they've got and wondering and wondering how in the world did I get in this place? How, how, how is it that, uh, that I've made such a mess? And inevitably, they can look back and go back to some point in time in their life where they sowed the seeds and now they're reaping the harvest. So we need to consider what, 
we have experienced. By the way, we need to consider what we are experiencing in our lives also, not just looking back and saying, well, I'll tell you what, I learned my lesson. I've learned there's a whole lot better to let God lead me than to just do whatever I whatever I want to do. I've learned that from past experience, but there are some folks right now experiencing things as a result of the fact that they've been sowing the wrong seed. And then we need to think about what we can expect to experience. Because right now, you know, in the process of sowing the seed, life might be difficult. But believe me, it's going to get worse than what it is. It's going to get worse before it gets better until we get it right. That's the whole point I'm trying to make. So we need to consider our experience from the past and at the present and what the prospect is as we look ahead and think about where am I headed. The Bible tells us, you know, that a, a wise man ponders the path of his feet. In other words, he just doesn't walk blindly, but rather he ponders where he's going to put his foot down. Uh, I'm a hillbilly from Missouri, and I've been in those rugged Ozarks and worked there and uh, creating the largest, largest cut through solid limestone in the state. And I've been there and taking the grades through all of that on those little narrow ledges. You better watch where you put your foot down because one misstep could cost you your life. And that's all it would take. We didn't have any safety harness or anything like that. We just had to do what we did the best way that we knew how. And that was to creep along those ledges with a level rod in our hand taking the taking the, the, the level so we could figure out how much to pay the contractor. And the same thing's true in life. We need to watch where we put our foot down. Say, so, well, how do we do that? Well, the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The Bible, you know, tells us that God's Word is a, light, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so as we spend time in the Word of God, it illuminates the path that we ought to take. Remember this, everything you sow is going to grow. Everything, good or bad, everything you sow is going to grow. We think about America today. How in the world did we get where we are? How is that even possible? I oftentimes think back to whenever I was a boy and certain sins and whatever. We, we never, we never, we didn't talk about those things we we didn't think about those things i, I mean we, we never dreamed that it would someday become legal to butcher little innocent babies how how can we do that and then sing god bless america how can god bless america when we are living in such rebellion against his righteous commandments but that's what we're doing so we look around today and we seem to be surprised that we'd be going through difficulties i've heard several people talk about this year so far has been probably the strangest most unusual year of their life and i don't have to explain you know what i mean by that you already know uh, you, you read the news, heard the news, and you're very much uh, aware of what is going on and the troubles that our nation is in. And, and, and we try to look ahead and think about, well, things are going to get better. It'll, it's going to get back to normal. But we don't know that. We, right now we're in a state of confusion. Wonder, how did we get here? 
How, how did it get so bad that we put our stamp of approval upon sin, upon murder in those things, and then allow people to burn down businesses and kill people all in the name of an innocent protest? How, how did we get here? We're reaping what we sowed. That's exactly why God is allowing this to happen today. We sowed the seeds of corruption, and that is exactly what we're reaping today. So rather than us cursing this law of sowing and reaping, we ought to conform our life to it. In other words, we ought to rejoice about it because we have a choice as to what we sow. God's not forcing anyone to sow seeds of corruption. We're not forced to. We don't have to do that. We can stop it. And we can make good choices and sow the seeds of righteousness. And in doing so, in doing so, it will totally change our experiences in life. Now, I want to go back in conclusion where we started. And notice that, that he tells us here, be not deceived. So we have a warning about deception. And there are a lot of folks that have built their expectations upon a misunderstanding of what the Bible says. And let me give you a few examples. Philippians 4, 19. One of my favorite verses, Paul says, But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Isn't that something? My God, wow. Believe me, there are folks that try to claim that that have no right to claim that whatsoever. If you read the context, you'll see that he's speaking about God's people. He's speaking about a church, not just any church, but a church that had given to meet the needs of other people. And so Paul is saying to them, because you gave, because you've been generous, because you've demonstrated love, my God shall supply all of your needs. That applies only to certain people. Just anybody cannot claim that. Well, I know we'd like to think that. The Bible says, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and what? And all of these things shall be added unto you. So I don't have any right to expect God to supply all of those things, that is the basic needs of life. I can't expect God to supply that if I'm, if I'm not serving Him, if I'm not living a life of righteousness, seeking to do His will. But when, when I know I'm doing my best to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, I don't need to worry about whether I'm going to have anything to eat or not. Because God's given me that promise. But that promise is not for the general public. It's not for anyone. Now, it could be they could claim it if they put first the kingdom of God. So let's not misunderstand what the Bible says in that regards. But then notice in verse number 10, another misunderstanding here. Let me read it again just so you'll get the connection. Paul says, As we have therefore opportunity... Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That verse does not obligate the church to give anyone whatever they want. Let me say that again. That does not obligate the church to give anyone whatever they want because, notice he said, do good to all men. And sometimes 
Doing good means withholding something that people ask for because they don't have enough sense to know what they really need. I mean, are, are we supposed to just open the coffers for every drunk that staggers up to the door, you know? Boy, the stories that we hear. I remember whenever Brother Ron went on staff, and he's in heaven now, but when he went on staff, one of the first things I talked to him about I said, Brother Ron, you're going to be here in the office. And I said, several times a week, you're going to get people calling or people coming to the door, and they're going to be in need. And I gave him some examples of people that over the years, the same person, you see, after a while, they forget they've been there. And so they come back with the same old story over and over again. Well, my car broke down up here on 1960, and I, I, I just need $10 to get a little gas to get back home, or whatever the story is. And you've heard it before from the same people. Look, we're not obligated to contribute to meet the needs of somebody that's going to take what we give them and waste it on things that are of a sinful nature. So just because... By the way, those of you that are parents, do you give your kid anything they want? Of course not. And sometimes a kid, they say, those shiny scissors, boy, laying right there. And this little toddler comes up and they want to get their hands on those scissors and, and run with them. But that's the last thing they need is a pair of scissors. And so just because the Bible says do good unto all men doesn't mean that you give anybody whatever it is that they want. Sometimes the best way we can help them is not to help them. Not to help them in the way they want help. And then another thing is that we need to remember as we wrap this up is that what we reap will be later. It'll be later. It'll be greater and it'll be the same. The same in nature. Sow to the flesh. What? Reap corruption, right? But if we sow the good seed... We're going to reap that which is good. But it's going to be later. But it's going to be greater. It's going to be greater. You know, when we stop and think about what we do for the Lord, if we're really honest, in comparison to the sacrifices made by the apostles and, and other Christians down through the years, we have done so very, very little for the Lord. And yet sometimes we expect so much back. We just feel like God is unfairly withholding from us. Look, folks, we're going, to, we're going to reap, but it's going to be later. And when we do, it's going to be greater. God, God uh, pays well. The old songs, it pays to serve Jesus. Now, it doesn't pay if you're just doing it to get paid. But if you're serving the Lord because you love Him, believe me, you'll never regret what you do. One last thing. We all fail at some point in time. We sow the wrong seed and we reap a harvest and, 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 and we, we try to make things right with God. We do make things right with God. But understand this. Forgiveness does not mean that we escape the consequences. A perfect example of that, I think, is the story of David when he had sinned. And he confesses his sin, and God assures him, I'm going to forgive you of your sin. But he reminds him because of who he is. He's the king. He is the leader. He's the ruler, as it were, of God's people. He is representing God to the Gentile world. 
a world that claims that there are many gods. Because of that, God had to show himself righteousness on his behalf. And God says to David, but the child is going to die. And you see, folks, we can do some things that we can't undo. We have to ultimately live with the consequences for the rest of our life. If you just accidentally go out here in the yard and sow some seeds that are nothing but weeds, guess what? You're going to get a crop of weeds whether you meant to or not. It's going to happen because that's what you sowed. And regardless of what you do, it's not going to change the nature of what you reap. And it's wonderful that we can go to God and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I've made such a fool out of myself. I've hurt others. I've brought grief to my own life. And I'm so sorry that I've shamed you, Lord. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. But we still have to reap the consequences of what we did. That's why we need to be so careful about the seeds that we sow. You know, I often say that we're, you know, we're best to ourselves when we're good to others. Really, we are. And if we go through life expecting others to just lavish us with blessings and and our provisions, we've got the cart before the horse. We need to turn things around and realize the best way to get what we need is to make sure that we meet the needs of somebody else. And that's what really pays. And God God does not withhold that which he has promised. And he said, you're going to reap, and you're going to reap more than what you sowed. I'm so glad. And, and I think about what Paul said. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that you're laboring the Lord, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. It, there's a payday someday. And God pays well. So let's make sure of the seeds that we sow in life, that we are, that we are sowing seeds that will cause us to, to expect a glorious harvest somewhere down the road. Don't make that mistake of doing something that you're going to regret later and something that you can't undo and something that's going to hurt somebody else. Boy, we look at all of the problems that we're facing today, but think about all of the opportunities that this has afforded us. Because everywhere you look, there are people in need, sick people and poor people and hurting people. And so there, there's plenty of opportunities. Let's take advantage of it. Again, thank you for being here tonight. Keep praying for those that, that can't be here. Uh, uh, Don Spratt.